Pastor Kevin, thank you for being here again. Appreciated your message this morning and looking forward to the word tonight. God bless. Amen. Pastor Wayne, you just, uh, you just le- told something I didn't know about you. The next time you come to Shankatag, you're singing. <laughs> yes, I, that was beautiful. Thank you. Y'all, that was incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Uh, some of my favorite songs. We've been, I've been singing those songs for a long, long time. All three of those. And, and our church in Suffolk, we used to be in First Baptist Church in Suffolk and over at Shankatag. So thank you all for coming tonight. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, we're blessed to be back with you again tonight. Uh, it's been a great refreshing of our soul to be here already. So we're looking forward to what God's going to do for us in the next couple of days. You know, at, at, um, on Shinkatig, we have a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, and that we were talking about mosquitoes here a few minutes ago. Uh, they got real bad again recently. But uh, I saw a shirt uh, that I think everybody on Shinkatig ought to wear. It says, I'm so full of Jesus, if a mosquito bit me, he would fly away singing, uh, there's power in the blood. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really neat shirt to have uh, uh, so people <laughs> it would be a good conversation piece wouldn't it tonight if you have your Bible you've been blessed if you have one in English you've been double blessed so many people in the world do not have a Bible much less do they have one in their own language but in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 is where we're going to find our text for this evening as we uh, ask the subject, now we start, this morning we began with the basics of uh, what, how does a person saved? How does a person become a child of God uh, through salvation? And for the most part, I would think that most people sitting in the church would already know they are a child of God. They've been saved by God's grace. But now we start digging a little bit deeper, and each night we'll take it a little deeper into our walk with God and more to focus towards the believer. And what is God calling us to do? How is God calling us to live as we are followers of Jesus Christ? So tonight, we ask the question uh, through the message, do you need a spiritual? Do you need a spiritual? Isaiah 57, 15, we find, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. You follow along whatever translation you may have. But thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Father, we pray tonight that you would revive our heart. Lord, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you and be broken, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that we would uh, realize the, the, the greatness of who you are and your holiness. And we would sense our distance from you, our separation in what we should be versus what we are. And Father, then I pray through the scriptures, hear this before us, we would see the call of God individually, personally to our hearts, that we would return to you, that we would seek your face, that we would desire a personal relationship with you, a stronger relationship than we've ever known before, Lord. Oh God, we pray your spirit would fall on us tonight. We pray, Lord God, you would bring into our hearts again the, the, the hunger of a desire to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross and the desire to follow you with all of our heart, mind, and soul. May you be glorified through our time we have tonight, Lord. Thank you for all who have been able to come out tonight, Lord. We know many that are providentially hindered in the evening and not able to come out. And so, Father, we thank you for the gathering we have. And we pray, Father, that tonight... We will dig into your word and we will leave 
stronger and more determined to follow Jesus than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When was the last time you had a physical? Sometimes we call it a checkup. I'm going for a checkup today. You probably have had a lot of physicals in your lifetime. You go to the doctor and we are told that we need to have this physical. But I've noticed lately when you go for a physical, they begin to ask you questions they never asked you before. They ask you about your mental health or your stress levels on your life or your personal concerns. And sometimes they even ask you how do you identify when you come into the doctor now. How many of you have ever had a physical in your life? If you had a physical, raise your hand. Anybody? A few people have had a physical. I think probably all of us have had at least one along the line of our life. But when was the last time you actually had a spiritual? A physical is the concept of the physical body and the needs we have. But what about the spiritual side of you and me? When was the last time you had a checkup on your spiritual health? When was the last time you tested your faith? In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, it tells us, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you're disqualified? Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And Revelation 2, 5 says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first work, so else I will come to you and quickly remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Someone said, After putting my clothes on, I take a look in the mirror. Right there, I see my faults. And I quickly try to correct what I see wrong in the mirror. I repeat this every morning, and it never seems to be a difficult task to do. But how many times do we spend or do we have our time to look at our spiritual imperfections? Where do we look to find out about our spiritual condition? Well, James chapter 1, verse 23 to 24 tells us, For if anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In Psalm 119, verse 59, it says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. So how does our daily living look like the Bible? How much does your life and my life look like the Bible and look like Jesus Christ in our lives? Why is it we put so much emphasis on our physical health, but we assume that our spiritual health is just going to come along. It's just going to follow. It's going to continue to take care of it. Or maybe we think, well, well, God will take care of all of that. There's need for me to worry about that. Well, global beauty industry spends $511 billion in 2021. And $4.1 trillion were spent for health care in the United States in 2020. You believe that now, don't you, considering how much health care costs. A lot of money was put out for that know the only hope for our nation is revival, right? For too long, the church has watched the world falling off the cliff and focused on social gospel of meeting needs or has relied on the rapture to take us away and has neglected the biblical call for fervent prayer. God is calling the church, I believe, today to fervent prayer. I believe he's calling the church to wake up one last time. If not, judgment is going to fall on our nation. And don't think we're going to escape that. 
A great awakening love, a great awakening begins with a spiritual revival in the heart of God's people. Revival begins when our soul is returning back to a closer walk with God, a greater relationship with Him. We know that revival must begin with God's people. And only God's people can be revived after we may have been made alive in Christ to begin with. You can't be revived unless you've already been revived, unless you've already received Jesus Christ. So revival begins in the body of Christ. This is where revival will begin in Mifflinburg. This is where God is touching people's hearts to be here, to have a, a change of heart, a desire to be more of what God wants us to be. And believe me, it's more than enough people in this room right now to change Mifflinburg for the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment is not far from America. Perhaps she's already under judgment and she doesn't realize it. The only hope is revival. Revival comes when God's people have that spiritual. Do you need a spiritual tonight? How does the Bible define revival? We must be careful not to glamorize revival. Revival is about sackcloth and ashes, not a celebration. Revival is not about feeling that we work up to. It is a time of deflation in light of a revived understanding of God. Revival is not a party or a church fellowship or series of meetings. Revival is the act of God. Because God calls His people to seek revival before He brings it. God brings our hearts to the desire to want to be closer and right with God. Why would we do that? Because God is the one drawing us to that purpose. Revival is to bring back to life or consciousness, to resuscitate, not to resurrect, to impart new heart, spirit, and vigor, to restore effectiveness as a witness for Christ. So revival is not a beauty makeover. It never results in spiritual, spiritual superiority or competition among the believers. But we find true revival begins with God. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you've heard this verse quite often. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. When the people of God wake up and call out to God for repentance... God revives their hearts. God starts them over again. Now, one thing we need to understand about revival introduced by Charles G. Finney in Principles of Revival, principle number 45, he said, lukewarm Christians hate revival. They do not want the status quo to be disrupted. They prefer dull preaching and no prayer. They would be disturbed by a movement of God. As revival flames begin to spread in the congregation from soul to soul, they have to wake up or become jealous, complain, or cause discord among the brethren. And the unredeemed tares cannot enjoy revival. The more we become serious about God, and the more they will be offended by us and by God. Holy offends an unholy heart. So in essence of revival, emphasis and separation is the wheat from the tear. It, if revival breaks out, some may say, I don't even recognize my church anymore. And maybe you didn't know it, but the devil is a firefighter. 
Every time he sees a flame starting to rise a little bit among a congregation of people, he tries his best to put that fire out. He sends out the fire brigade against you because he says, if I can break them down, there'll be no revival. There'll be no change. You know, he is a little sensitive to fire. (laughs) He knows what's coming. Henry Blackaby said, not everyone wants revival. In the head, many want revival, but in the heart, most do not. Do I want revival in my head or in my heart? When will we become desperate enough for revival in America? How far does America have to fall before the church says, enough, Lord, send revival? We want to see revival in our life, in our home, in our community, in our schools, in our nation. Isaiah was called by God to deliver his message to the divided kingdom of Israel. Keep that in mind. America is a divided kingdom today. So Isaiah was called by God to deliver this message to a divided kingdom of God. First, he delivered a message of condemnation to the 8th century Israelites in the northern kingdom. And then after that, we found that the immorality and idolatry of that northern kingdom had broken down so far. In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was completely carried away by the Assyrians. And the southern kingdom of Judah would be taken into captivity to Babylon in 586 B.C. Isaiah's prophecy came to a stubborn, hard-hearted people who refused to repent. It would have been the end of Israel if it were not for God's unconditional covenant he made with them. That's how bad it was. Therefore, Isaiah not only speaks of judgment, but he speaks of restoration in this passage. God would not forget his people that he chose by grace. In Isaiah 57.10, the Lord Lord even asked them, look at that verse. He says, aren't you tired of this counterfeit life? Aren't you tired of being a pretender? For even the people were becoming weary of the repetitious idol worship that they had gotten into. It was losing its glamour. And I think a lot that America has fallen today is losing its glamour. Look at Isaiah 57.10. You are wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. There's nothing that will bore a Christian more than becoming mundane in their faith. It's nothing more difficult than just simply going through the motions of being a Christian. God reminds his people, I'm above all of this and I'm ready to revive my people. All who come to me will be revived, God says. Do you need a spiritual today? What will it take for you to be revived from the mundane to be God remade into what God wants you to be? Well, the first principle we see from this passage in Isaiah 57, 15 is, first of all, revival is a recognition of the holiness of God. That's where it begins. It must begin with our focus on God and who God is. It says in the text, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And if we came into the presence of God, no one would have to remind us that we are depraved. No one but have to remind us how sinful we are. Isaiah found that confrontation, didn't he? 
And Isaiah as a prophet fell on his face before God. Look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Revival begins, folks, when we see God. We drop all of our excuses for harboring sin. We have done with all the things that took us away from God. And our sin becomes blood red in the light of His holiness. We immediately confess what kind of person we are before God. If God was before us today, every one of us would fall prostrate before Him. Recognizing His holiness. And he, just to have Jesus look you in the eye. When He looks in you in the eye, He looks into your face with absolute purity and holiness. We can't hide anything from Him. He knows everything about us, every intent of the heart as He pierces that stare at us. I often say, when I die and absent from the body, present with the Lord, or when Jesus comes into rapture, I won't be able to lift my head and look at him. Because I'll be so ashamed of what he knows that I am. He's holy. When Peter was with Jesus in the boat and caught the great catch of fish, Peter turned to the Lord and said in Luke 5, 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am sinful man, O Lord. Revival comes when we become aware of our sin before the awesomeness of God. God is the sovereign of the universe. He is immortal, invisible, all-powerful, immutable. He is infinite righteousness. He is impeccable in his straightness. Our true person is naked before him. No matter how high you think you are, God is still higher than that. His name is holy. Holiness proceeds from him. He speaks, the earth trembles. There is no sin which is rebellion in his presence. Who inhabits, it says in the text, eternity. Our God is the only eternal being. There has never been a time when he was not. In Psalm 90, verse 10, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Therefore, he is the absolute judge of right and wrong. He is the law giver. Humanity lives in time right now. If we tried to compare eternity to to time, it would kind of be like going down to the beach at Assateague, picking up one little piece of sand and compare our time as that one little piece of sand to all the sand of the earth. But eternity is greater than that. He is also the timeless one. I always think it's amazing hearing people talk as if God is honing in on their party. God is trying to change us. As you hear people today on the news and everything, the Christians are trying to change America. Yes, we are. By the glory of God, we hope that happens through God's help. As if God is a new thing to everybody and he's trying to evolve man to follow after him. God was long before we were. 
God alone is immortality. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, He who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. We were brought into existence by God's will alone. So how can the thing made say to the one who made it, Why did you make me thus? We only live because this one eternal God gives us breath. And that is even more amazing since the fall of our sinful nature. He gives us mercy to keep on living when we deserve otherwise. In Psalm 8 it says, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. This all-powerful God is the one we have offended. And yet this awesome, amazing God has stooped down to where we are to give us salvation as unworthy, unholy sinners. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came not to condemn the world which is already condemned, but to save all who come to him. Not coming by religion or good works or being good, but coming to him pleasing, pleading for that salvation through that substitutionary atonement we just sang about in those songs. Folks, God is for us, not against us. And God has proved it by giving his son. And when he rose again from the dead on the third day, all of a sudden we realize what a condescension for the Holy One to become human, to take on human flesh, and to go all the way to the cross for us, the despised, shameful cross. What a friend we have in Jesus, amen? When we deserved condemnation, he gave us grace, grace not to be abused, but grace that which we can be saved. Our God is not capricious. Matthew 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place. The people knew they were separated from God whenever they were around his presence. But the tabernacle, they could not go in the tabernacle. They couldn't go into the holy of holies. Is that once a year only the high priest could go in and offer the sacrifice. No other man could go in there. No one else could go in there or they would die. In fact, the priest had little bells uh, put around the skirt of his um, robe that he wore to go in there. And why? Because if he walked in and he was unholy, old in the blood and had done something wrong, he would be dropped dead immediately. And they tied a rope to his foot. They could, had to drag him out. Nobody could go in there and get him. The holiness of God separated from us. But when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says the veil was torn. In Hosea 5.15, I'll return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. I do believe that verse describes what's going on in America today. God has said, I'm just going to leave them alone for a while. I'm going to let them do their thing until they finally say enough and come back to me. Revival is a return to the awe and the reverence of God. And if the Lord withdraws from us, we cannot find him. We have no way when he does that. So revival is not something that God needs. It's something that we need. Amen? But we cannot have revival without God. God is the one who moves the heart to seek revival. And God alone can renew the inner man and revive the fainting soul. He revives the spirit of the humble. So revival is a recognition of the holiness of God. 
The second thing we see from this passage is revival is repentance from sin to walk with God. It tells in the text, I dwell in the high and holy place. That's the Lord speaking, with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Let's return back to the scene with Isaiah on his face before God, having seen the holiness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Notice what the text did not say. It did not say, oh, Isaiah, get up. You're a pretty good guy. After all, you are a prophet of God. Guilt for sin is bad for you. Don't be guilty about what you've done. No, there's an acknowledgement that what Isaiah did was right. It was the right thing to fall before a holy God and recognize his sinfulness and not even look in his face. It was the right thing to do. And Isaiah acknowledged his sin, and his sin was blatant before the holiness of God, and he had nowhere to hide whatsoever. What stands between us and revival, folks? Repentance is what stands between us and revival. Owing our sin, not excusing it. And sometimes our pride and self-righteousness tries to save face. We're too embarrassed to come to the altar anymore because somebody may think there's something really wrong with me if I go up there. I remember years ago when we were talking about it early, when I was younger in life, uh, it was not unusual at revivals to see the, the front filled with people on their face sweeping before God. What stands between us and revival? We're too embarrassed, maybe, to be revived. What will people think? They wonder what's wrong with me. What have I done lately? Well, mankind becomes egotistical, don't we? We often live in a false elevation of ourselves, and I'm a, I'm a good person. So what did Jesus say about the self-righteous Pharisees in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12 to 13? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, interestingly about that passage, Jesus was not saying the Pharisees were righteous. He wasn't saying they were right with God. He was saying they thought they were right with God, and therefore they had no need to repent, so they could not be saved. Revival does not come without repentance. Revival comes to the contrite and humble spirit before God. In 1 John 1, 9, he reminds us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means he keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. As you and I know, we're not perfect. We know we fall short of God's glory. He keeps on. We need to confess over and over again. Why do we need to confess? Because we need to acknowledge God is right and I'm wrong. Think of King David. He knew his sin and humbled himself before God in Psalm 51. And he knew this about God. And in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God, he says, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You see, God is not looking for our excuses while we sin, and the devil did not make us do it. God is looking for honesty in the heart that longs for righteousness and acknowledges our personal responsibility. God is looking for us to own our sin. The call for revival from a believer comes with humility, a genuine brokenness of sin. There is nothing more stiff-necked than a proud Christian. You couldn't break it with a two-by-four. But when we are confronted by God, 
immediately we see our unworthiness, don't we? 1 Peter 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Peter knew this one by heart, didn't he? He knew exactly. He, he had resisted the Lord through his pride in his life. Notice when revival comes to the follower of Christ, the believer is elevated to be in a, in a high and holy place with God. Notice it says, God says, I will bring you up. I'll bring you back to a right relationship with me and a restored relationship. Ephesians 2, 6 says, and raise us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Revival revives us to remember who we are in Christ and our life is now in Christ. It calls us out from a secular way of life to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do in these last days, church. That's the kind of faith it's going to take to survive what is coming to America is a whole lot worse than what we've seen so far. How are we going to survive as a Christians in that, in that environment? How are we going to make it? Imagine the image that we're all before the Lord on our face repenting of sin. And the Lord grants us a revived spirit, and we find around the throne a pile of crosses, just a big pile of crosses. And when God revives our spirit, each one of us as a believer, we go over there and we find the cross that's got our name on it. And we pick it up and we carry it. You see, we're not, we're not paying the price of our sin when we carry our cross. We're picking up our cross and following God. And what it means when we follow Jesus Christ, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost you at your work. It's going to cost you with your friends. It's going to cost you with your neighbors. It's going to cost you with everybody you're around that has nothing to do with God and wants nothing to do with God. They are going to make fun of you. They're going to belittle you. They're going to wonder what, who you think you are better than they are now. What you used to run with us, why don't you run with us anymore? Oh, imagine that. When we're revived, we pick up our cross and follow Jesus again. Are we wandering from Christ? Wandering for a believer does not mean loss, but carnal. We must be careful living the secular life with so much gusto, even coming to church just because it's a thing to do or a habit, or God forbid, a good luck charm. Are we partial followers of Christ, or do we need a spiritual? Have the things of God grown stale to you? Has your Bible reading grown stale and you just kind of depend on whatever the preacher tells me, I'll listen to that. But no, God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to get into the Word of God. You know why? Because when we get into the Word of God, the Word of God gets into us. Are you waiting for a more convenient time? For so long, through COVID, the church waited to a safer time. God leads us to revival as he did the people during the time of Hosea. In Hosea 6.1 it says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. The great God pities us and extends revival to the broken over their sin. Contrite means humbled by guilt and repentant in heart. There's a spirit in the age that will not be broken today if a defiant, rigid, demented, determined is to continue to offend the Lord. The Lord says that will not be revived. 
that God calls us to revival by showing us our sin once again. That leads us to humility and brokenness. And then like the father running to the prodigal, as soon as your heart turns back to God and says, Oh Lord, I've wandered from you. I need my heart strong with you again. I need to be close to you again. As soon as we do that, you know what? The father like the prodigal runs to you and grabs you up in his arms. Welcome back to the fellowship with God. Revival is a recognition of the holiness of God. Revival is repentance from the sin to walk with God. And finally, revival is renewal of fellowship with God. It tells us in the text to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Once again, let's return back to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, verses 8 and 9. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. You see, when revival comes, we see the holiness of God. As Isaiah, we fall on our face before him, knowing we're not worthy to be his, his son, not worthy to be his child, not worthy of him at all. And yet God sends, extends the, the, the mercy to us and picks us back up and says, the blood of my son paid for your sin. The blood of Jesus paid it all on that cross for you. He did everything necessary. Get up. And then when you get up, what does he say to you? Now get back in the work. Get back into what God's called you to do. This church and every church in America, we must get back to what God called us to do. He sends Isaiah out. He says, I know what you've done. I've purified you of that. Now go. Go for me and tell the people. Isaiah was called by God to deliver a divine message to the people and the message of the people would hear, but the Lord knew they were not going to heed. Folks, we don't necessarily know what's going to happen when we take this message out of this building and into the streets. We don't know what the people are going to do. In fact, most will probably reject the message, but that's not the point, is it? God called us to take the message, not worry about the rejection. In fact, part of that rejection is going to be that cross. Only a remnant of Israel humbled themselves before God and were restored to the land after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. See, God's going to always have a remnant. And, I'll, and sometimes I, I, at Union, I say, Union, you know what, brothers and sisters? If we don't do what God's calling us to do, he'll find a church that will. He's, he's looking for a people that are looking for him. And he will use that people. Isaiah 57, 16 says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the Spirit would fail before me in the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of this covetousness was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. The Lord said, If all I did was pound on you for the sin you've been committed, he says, I know your weakness. I know your flesh. I know what you're going to do, but I'm restoring you to bring you back again giving you the grace you need for that day oh notice the lord says this struggle of mankind returning to sin over and over and god having to bring that judgment is going to eventually end god knows human beings will always fail we will always never quite get it from god he understands our feeble condition but he doesn't excuse it that does not mean he reduces that standard of right. No, the Lord reveals he has a plan to restore human beings forever. But notice in verse 17, it does not tell us God will hide himself from his people. 
It's amazing how independent we think we are. If God hid himself for us for one day, America would fall. America has been blessed by God. He has, he did shed his grace on our nation. We know the history. And he went on backsliding the way of his heart. The people continued to practice idolatry in verse 17. And brothers and sisters, we need a spiritual. We become stagnant. Our attention span to follow God is very short. And we have fallen nature is fighting against our very flesh. We don't Look at Romans 7. Paul talks about we don't do what we want to do, but we practice what we don't want to do. Isn't that you and me? Isn't that the way we are? Notice in verse 18 what changes the people. It is God. I will heal him. I will lead him. I will restore him. He said nothing about what man can do. Even being humble does not change us. But when we humble ourselves before God, God changes us. Church, have we forgotten our calling? Jesus Christ is not calling us to give us an insurance policy against hell. He's not calling us to try to be a good person with an unregenerate heart. He's not calling those looking for an improvement in their way of life. He calls us to reform us into His image. He saves us to love the ways of God and seek after righteousness. He calls us to die to self and be His followers. And He calls us to hate our sin. That's what it means to be saved, to be a new creation in Christ. So when we fall away from that call on our life, we need revival. We need fellowship restored with God. We need a relationship again, don't we? So what does revival do? It revives the people of God to be about the nature and work of God. How do we know when revival comes? Watch God's people. All you have to do, watch God's people, and you'll know when revival comes. Revival is a recognition of the holiness of God. That's where it begins. Revival is repentance from sin to walk with God. We see ourselves in the light of who He is and what He's already done for us to save us. We say, Lord, I have not been what I need to be. I have not followed You. I've left my cross somewhere else. I didn't even consider picking it up. And revival is that renewal of fellowship with God. It's when you get strong with God again. Your relationship becomes real with God again. And you get on fire. And then you look behind you and the devil's chasing you with a fire hose. Trying to put out that fire. And as they say on Shinkatig, far. Try to put out that fire. May God give us the heart we need for the spiritual tonight. Father, as we bow before you, thank you, Father, for allowing us to open your word tonight. Your precious word. Oh, Lord, how much you have told us in the Bible and how little we have applied it to our life. Lord, we know you're holy. We sing about your holiness. We know you are the supreme being and the creator and the one that gave us life. And we know that you are ultimately the judge to whom all must give account. Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts tonight with your word as you sought to touch the children of Israel with Isaiah the prophet. But Lord, they would not listen. They just passed it off as another crazy prophet speaking stuff that really doesn't matter. 
In fact, Father, we know, and it seems that from Scripture, Isaiah may have been the one they even sawed in half. They were so angry at him for the word he brought. Father, everything you said was true through Isaiah. It did happen to Israel as you said it would, because Isaiah prophesied many years before it actually happened. And Lord, you did everything you promised in Isaiah, for we find in Isaiah the promise of the Messiah. And we find in Isaiah the promise of restoration and, and bringing the people back based on your unconditional covenant to Israel. And Lord, we know that's why they're in the land today. They're waiting for the king to return. Father, we pray tonight that you would touch our hearts, that we would not look past who we are, but we would see your holiness in light of that. And, and Lord, maybe we would have that question in our mind tonight. Well, how in the world am I ever going to do this on my own? I mean, I just feel like an absolute failure. Lord, we know that is where revival begins, when we realize that we are not who we thought we were or claimed to be. But Father, when you touch our heart and we humble ourselves before you, you're the one that picks us back up off the floor and reminds us, you're my child. Go and serve me. So Father, may your spirit speak to us in this sweet time of invitation tonight. And if there's anyone here tonight that has never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, then Lord, a lot of what's been said tonight sounds foreign. It sounds kind of old-fashioned or Old Testament. But Father, I pray they would understand how much you love them and how much you know everything about their life, every sin they've ever committed, every thought they've ever had in their head, yet you said, I will forgive you if you'll receive my son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior of your life, the one that died for all of that stuff on the cross, all of that sin, and rose again from the dead to prove everything he said was true. He is the Son of God eternally, and he is the one that can save you from sin. And Father, I pray for the Christians most importantly tonight that we would begin to unpack ourselves. And revival tends to have a tendency to break us down to get us back to where we need to be so that you can build us back. Father, help us, Lord, to be humble before you. Help us, Lord, to be willing to admit that we are not what we need to be. We all know that. But Lord, sometimes our pride keeps us from admitting it. And Lord, I pray tonight in this time of invitation, you would speak according to whatever your will is to the hearts of the people that are in this room, the souls that are going to live forever somewhere, and the saints that are going to live with Jesus forever in the kingdom that is to come. All glory and honor goes to you, Lord, because we know flesh can't hold glory. May you receive the glory from our time being together tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So our time for invitation. Wayne, come on up, if you would, and lead us in invitation. I'd like to invite our church family to come to the front uh, tonight. Some will kneel, some will sit, some will stand. But if you are able to and you want to, I just want to invite each of you to come and pray. Pray about that personal call to revival. That God calls each one of us to that humility that Pastor has talked about and the contrite heart. Oh, if you can and you would, we're just going to come and we're going to pray. If you're able to, come sit on the platform if you want or in the pews or kneel if you're most comfortable, whatever you are. 
as we quietly seek His Spirit tonight. Maybe where you're at, just to pray out loud. I know sometimes we're not used to that, and it may feel like it's a lot of noise, but boy, I just I just want to ask that people, God's people would just pray out loud right now. Speak your heart to God. Call out to God. Together as we, as God's people, seek Him. Oh God, come to this place. Let's pray out. Oh God. Our hearts are broken for our world. The hardness out there. Lord God, it just seems like at every turn, your kingdom is being slapped. Oh God, that your spirit would break through. Touch hearts. Touch hearts in this community. Touch hearts, oh God, in the schools, in the workplaces, in our families, God. Just break out your spirit, Lord, I pray. Give us tender hearts and passionate hearts for you, O God. We would see you in your holiness. We would see you high and lifted up and there would be something within us that would turn away because we know, God, that we're not where you want us to be. God, we cry out for the sins of our our nation, your people, God. The sins in our lives, God, if it's there that we would confess that and God, just say, take it away. Make us new again by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, I pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Help me to be the person that you want me to be, God. Help me to see you and high and lifted up. And God, help me to see the people around me with the, the, the vision and the love and the eyes that you have, God. Help, help us to know, God, how to live out that love and grace that's so incredible to the people around us, Lord, I pray. Help us to seek you. We pray for the, we grieve for our country, God. We grieve for the, the murder of innocent children. We grieve, God, for people that are broken in their moral values and the pride in the heart that uh, God hates. God, the entertainment around us, the busyness, God, when it's just hard to know how to sort out the good from the very best, I pray, God, that there would be a calling out of God's people to be what you want us to be, Lord God, I pray. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth tonight, God. Speak to your people, I pray. Draw us to your heart, Lord Jesus, I pray. Sing with me, Holy Spirit, thou art welcome in this place, would you? Holy Spirit. 
Ask Wayne Rank to lead us in a prayer tonight. Would you do that, Wayne? Father, we thank you for this day and for what we've heard. Lord, we thank you for your presence and for your nearness and the way you work in our hearts and lives. I just give you praise and thanks, Lord. We need you. We need you every second of every day. And Lord, I just pray that your hand will be upon us. Guide and direct. Meet the needs, Lord. There are many. And Lord, I just pray that your will will be done in each and every heart and life. Lord, go with us and bring us back to the service tomorrow night. And we just give you praise for all that you do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think maybe tomorrow night the best thing for us to do is just meet here at the altar and open the service and see God's Spirit. I'm going to invite you to do that tomorrow night. Come and be here. If you get here a few minutes early, that's great. Whatever you're able to do, but let's meet here at the altar tomorrow night and see God's Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask one more. Carrie, do you feel strong enough to lead us in a prayer? Lord, we thank you for your presence with us tonight. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this body of believers. We thank you for the message that we heard this evening. We just pray that um, you would just apply that to each of our hearts and that you would continue to just work in us and help us to seek your face to be more like you and to share your love with those around us. We just give you praise and glory for who you are how you work, for your word, for our Christian friends. Just ask your blessing upon this service as we close, and we just ask that you would go with each one as they leave this place and bring us back into your presence tomorrow, and we'll just give you all the praise and the glory. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, the Lord gives you the ability Let's meet here at the altar tomorrow night and uh, seek God's Spirit together. God bless. Thank you.